Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the One Talk podcast. You have your host, Ryan McCarthy. And today we are joined by Frank Grief. Frank is the co-founder of RealBase, which is a marketplace of real estate agents, and which he sold to Domain for $180 million. So within today's episode, he touches so much around how he built that, how also he had to build the mindset, the team, the structures, also the journey to get there, to build a business from nothing to 180 million, as you can imagine, there's so much that goes within that. So Frank also shares like leadership skills, uh, purpose and mission, understanding your why and everything that comes around of building something so significant. Also, Frank is on the journey of raising seven figures for charity for a cookbook for high performers. So he's on the mission at the moment to create this cookbook. And within his social media, I highly recommend checking it out. He puts up all the meals up there and all the recipes. And he takes you along the journey of him creating this and also showing you the why behind it, the purpose behind it. And also just it's all for a good cause for charity. So really keen for everyone to dive into today's episode and check it out. In other news, if you could please share this podcast around and leave it a rating, it means so much in terms of helping this show grow. And also, One Talk merch is in the bio of this episode, so check that out as well. Today's episode is sponsored by Arlo Collaborative Gardens, where they strive to support individuals in their journey of self and personal development. At Arlo, they believe that everyone has the potential to achieve their goals and live a truly fulfilling life. Arlo are here to guide and empower both men and women on their unique paths towards personal growth. For their coaching and mentoring programs, Arlo utilize a variety of effective techniques and methods, such as hypnotherapy, which is a powerful tool for positive, long-lasting change. Emotional change technique, also known as ECT, which facilitates emotional healing by combining elements of meditation and traditional psychology. Arlo continually explore and integrate various techniques and methods to suit the unique needs of each individual client. These include mindfulness practice, cognitive behavioral therapy approaches, and also breath work and more. Arlo Collaborative Gardens empowers individuals to tap into their inner resources, gain clarity, and develop sustainable strategies to overcome challenges. Whether you are seeking to manage stress, improve relationships, overcome limiting beliefs, or enhance performance in various areas of life, Arlo Collaborative Gardens is here to support you in every step of the way. So please check the link in the bio, check out Arlo Collaborative Gardens, and check out the work they do and get in contact. I can't recommend them enough. But without further ado, let's welcome Frank. Thank you Thank you all. The marathon continues. Victory lap tonight, though. Victory lap tonight. Welcome, Frank. How are you, man? I'm good, brother. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, Ryan. No worries at all. Thanks for making the time to come down today. I'm really interested to get into your you know, inspirational story. It's a lot of grit involved, but it just shows the dedication you've had over a certain period of time, and it's paid off by showing up consistently, you know, because... A lot of people, when they set goals, they don't realize that it takes a lot of grit, it takes a lot of drive, and it takes a lot of time. But to see you put all those three elements together and to get where you are now, it's super inspirational. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'd love to um, have the listeners here understand a bit about your own story and where you've come from to where you are now. So if you'd like to give us just a rundown of the journey of what's been happening. Yeah, no worries. So I'll, I'll give it a little high, a high-level rundown. So my, um, my, my background is from South Africa originally. Uh, my parents moved us to New Zealand when I was about four years old. Um, w- you know, we came from fairly humble beginnings. My dad um, uh, was frauded in his business, so he, we kind of came to New Zealand bankrupt. Um, and, and through there, you know, they were sharpening knives, filleting fish and picking apples on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we moved to Australia when I was about 11 years old. Um, so I have three brothers. Um, I always wanted to be a chef, so I, I started a career um, as a chef at age 16. I did finish high school. Um, I did not do well at all, um, not for any other reason than I just loved cooking. So that was where all my heart and soul and energy went into. Um, and after about three years, I, I finished up that. Um, my brother came to me one day. We actually owned an, uh, a property we lived in together. Uh, and he said to me, um, you know, there's an opportunity to go install real estate signboards uh, in Melbourne. And so probably six weeks later, I finished up with work in the kitchen 
packed our bags, got in the car and, and drove to Melbourne and just literally started installing signboards for real estate agents um, out of a three-bedroom townhouse in, in Croydon, Victoria. Um, and so we, after a year, sold that business, came back to, um, back to uh, Sydney and, and did it all over again with our third brother. Yeah, and nice. so that was kind of the journey for the next five years. It was pretty, um, oh, you know, it was reasonably exciting, but it was as mundane as, you know, installing signs by the day, trying to get customers. Uh, and then we had a brochure printing arm as well. And so we'd print brochures and, you know, jobs like 10,000 uh, Dropbox letterbox that you had to fold up would come through and we hated spending money and, and everything was self-funded. So we would literally three, four, five hours at a time, sit there and fold brochures and just think we're having the best time in the whole world. Yeah, nice. <laughs> just enjoying the journey. Yeah, just, enjoy, just enjoying the journey. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, then, um, and, then, and, then, and then the year five came as like a pivot moment. Uh, and I've, I've, look, I've talked about this at length, so I won't, I won't bore your listeners if anybody wants to. There's, there's a few podcasts I kind of get into that, that journey story. But I had a pivotal moment where we decided to do our own brand. Um, we did. We, we launched a brand called Real Hub, which then focused more on technology. So I guess for everybody's um, knowledge, the business that we, that we built at that time was ultimately the business that got acquired by Domain. Uh, and it was really a marketplace. So it connected real estate agents to real estate suppliers. So every time they want to transact on a property, let's say they need signboards, brochures, realestate.com, domain, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, we help facilitate that. Yeah, and okay. so there was a bit of a pivotal moment there in the journey where we kind of made that step to, to launch that, that, the, that brand and that business. Um, and then from there, we, we kind of kept rolling for, a, for quite some time before ultimately our, our main competitor in the space about three years ago came and asked if we wanted to merge companies. Um, and at that time, um, you know, we, we were uh, young, ambitious, enthusiastic, energetic, uh, and we kind of just were like, hey, we're going to be able to do it ourselves. Um, but he had a lot of wisdom and he said, hey, we can keep fighting or we can, you know, join forces and ultimately, you know, make a bigger impact together. And so about six weeks after that, uh, we merged business. That was the time I kept, became CEO. Uh, and from, from there, ultimately, um, real base about one in every two properties that sells in Australia and New Zealand will come through our business. Um, but no one really knows about us. You know, it's a very business to business. Only real estate agents. You know, we're, we're known in that world. But apart from that world, people are like, are you a real estate agent? <laughs> is, is the most common question. Um, and then, and then to kind of round off a bit of the journey. I'm obviously very high level. We'll, we'll dive in. I'm sure um, to round it off uh, about. Maybe maybe eighteen months ago now, I, I took decided to take the business to a transaction. Mm. So it was like a competitive process. There was ten people involved. Um, you weasel it down to th- not weasel it down. It's the wrong wrong terminology. You bring it down gently to three people, uh, and then from there you have um, you know a six week process at the final at the kind of tail end where you're doing like heavy negotiations, and ultimately that's when um, Domain acquired our business. Yeah, when you did like the transaction period. What was going through your mind at the time was like a few moments that people get when it's like I finally reached the end road, mm-hmm. or was it like it's just beginning now? Um, there was a there was a fair few different moments in that. So so it was a, it was a really stressful time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the one of the things that I'm really love sharing is that making sure that you know although the scale can be different you know someone could be selling five million could be you know two hundred like ours mm-hmm. or one hundred eighty or could be ten billion. I think. The kind of the weight on you is probably equal. I don't think. I think just seeing the number changes. Um, but there was a few moments in there where I went like I went through like three day insomnia about um, you know I, I on the on the final day of the deal and this is not a place of happiness. It was just a, just like I was just so stressed. I just started crying. I was like on my way driving to work, just crying, bawling my eyes out. I'm super lucky. I have an amazing wife. Mm-hmm. She's a clinical psychologist, so she's like come home, and I'm like I can't come home. Like the yeah, <laughs> the weight of this whole thing's on on me right now. Um, but then there was a moment. You know, there were definitely was a moment I, I was really conscious that i wanted like to appreciate the wins obviously this is a huge win right like yeah. I'm, I'm cognizant that it was an amazing win um but I, I i'd heard the same story over and over again which was again like a guy i caught up with and met afterwards you know he sold his business for 1.1 billion right um and he's just said it was like he went through the biggest depression of his life for the year for a year after so i was really conscious that i didn't want to be that guy yeah. so we made sure there were steps in place whether it be the day the transaction signed it's very anticlimactic uh, mm. climactic whatever yeah. uh, uh, where you know the, the, you, i'm seeing the lawyers going back and forth i knew the day was this was the day it was like best and final negotiations are done the, the numbers done everything's done but now we have to do like what the final back and forth you know drafting of a lawyer's stuff um and I was waking up every hour on the hour to see like how to come through. Mm-hmm. And so by the time I woke up, I think, yeah, I think it was like 4.20 a.m. And the lawyers had worked through the night. And they're going back and forth in these emails. So by the time we wake up, you're kind of like, oh, okay, all right, sweet. Now let me go to the gym. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but like, you know, 
we then made sure we, we celebrated that. So there was definitely those moments. I will share one thing. I remember I was with the new CEO that acquired our business. Um, we're having a meeting and like a bomb had just dropped off in the, in the home. Mm. So in the, in the meeting room, like I could no longer hear anybody. I just see a text from my brothers and like, look at your bank account. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was, that was a, yeah, that was definitely a fun, a fun, fun moment. Yeah. What was the first thought that went for your head when you checked your bank account? Oh, I couldn't think relief. anything. I literally went to them. Like I, I just had to stop the meeting halfway. I was like, do you mind? Sorry, I just really need the bathroom. And I just called my brothers and we're just freaking out. Cause like, I think for contextual, for everybody's knowledge is, um, yeah, if you go listen to the, the story, a big part of the story is um, our parents are part of the same franchise we were in. They lost their business. And, and so we had made a promise to the brothers that we were going to pay them back a million bucks. And so that moment happened. The first thing we did is call our parents because what we did is we actually um, gave them shares before the sale. And so calling them and then, you know, three and a half million bucks has landed in their account. That was pretty special. And yeah. so that was like pretty much the first thing we did is we're all really pumped for them. Yeah, it's like the gratitude for the work you've put in for yourself, but the gratitude that how everyone around you also won from that as well. Exactly right. Yeah. And like, I want to go back quickly to the moments where you felt the stress, you felt yep. the pressure, you felt yep. the burnout coming up. Like, what were the, some of the things you would do to help maybe alleviate that stress and that burnout so you could continue to push through? Yeah, so this one's going to be quite unique to me. I haven't met someone like this before. Um, I, for the... Maybe seven years, I thought my superpower was I don't get stressed. Yeah. So, so, so I hear people, um, it sounds so weird to say this out loud, but I hear people talk about symptoms of stress, anxiety in the chest, all of those kind of things. I never got those. So I, I'd had it before. So I knew that like I wasn't like, it's not like I was one of those people that cut yourself and you can't feel the pain and you just bleed out. You know, I, I, I'd had it before but like once or twice. So I knew it existed. I knew what the feeling was. And therefore, because I'd never got that feeling, I was like, I mustn't be stressed. But what would happen is I would go through, um, you know, I, I kind of think back to them as seasons. So seasons of really tough work where things that, you know, like we were fully self-funded. So at no stage did we, we didn't have like, I guess like the, um, the warm blanket of 10 million bucks in the bank. You know, it was like, we would always have maybe have six, eight weeks of cash in the bank. And like, obviously that becomes proportional of the time and, and then the amount of money becomes bigger but it's still like six to eight weeks um so i went through different periods post that seven years when things started really getting really tough where I, where things would just happen that were really weird like insomnia like and i was like i didn't i did when i got home at on you know 5 36 p.m it wasn't crazy i didn't work crazy hours but when i got home in these periods i wouldn't think about work and so, but what happened is I realized I was subconsciously processing it. So I mentioned my wife's a clinical psychologist. You know, one day I hadn't slept for three days and my wife just goes like, let's go for a walk. Like you've got to take the day off work. And I was like, I actually, I actually have to, like I'm starting to get loopy. And like, I, I remember I went into work for an hour and I was like, I actually shouldn't be here. Like this is like, this is, this is not good. So anyway, she took me for a walk. We go to Manly. We love looking the water and she's like, just run me through your day. And I was like, run me through the day. She's like, run me through a week, run me through the month. And she goes, that sounds really stressful. And I'm like, nah, like I, I don't get stressed. Like, remember, you know that. And she's like, no, no, no. I think what's happening is like your body is showing signs, signs and symptoms of stress and you're not actually like consciously processing it. And that was a really big unlock moment for me because what happened from there is I realized, okay, I'm getting stressed. I can't feel it. So what do I have to do? So back to your question was, what do I do in those moments? It's like from that period on, I had to be really conscious about like my forward looking to stress. So what I mean by that is because I'm not getting the symptoms, I can't manage it acutely. So it can't be like, okay, I'm, I'm getting anxiety. Therefore like start doing some deep breathing. Mm -hmm. It's more like, what do I do today that when the stress is there next week, next month, next year, what am I doing today to help me protect that? And so some of the things I implemented, like I've always loved training, but like during those seasons, as I call them, where it's like really intense work that kind of can drop off. Mm -hmm. Like for me, it's never dropped off below like three days. Like I've been training for probably the last 10 years uh, and it'll always be minimum of three days. But then I went, okay, I've got to do five days a week training. Like I've got to go, I've got to do, you know, I've got to do, you know, I've got to do some cardio. You know, I then started picking up like ice bathing or, or for everybody there who, you know, may not have access to ice bath, it's like cold showering. And it's like, what are the, what are the different um, rituals that I can do to manage it? The other thing that came out for me, um, and some people may resonate with this, is what would happen is I'd go through these moments and I'm not a big drinker, like it's not, just not my thing, but I go through these moments and then like, and this is how I started to pick up am I stressed is it'd be a Tuesday and I'd be like oh man I feel like an icy cold one yeah. and then I'd be like 
that's weird. Where, <laughs> like, where, where's like, that coming from? Yeah, <laughs> like, where, I'm like, and so, the, and it would be those little moments. I would then go, okay, that must be stress. And so then, rather than going like, yes, that icy cold one's gonna be delicious, I'm like, okay, stop for a moment. Why am I feeling like that? And then kind of like my wife does, like play back and go, okay, that's stressful. And then like try and bring it to the conscious mind. Yeah, it's like a warning sign for your mind to say like yeah. you're trying to find a way to yes. release stress or find a way to cope. Exactly. Yeah, but it's good that you're doing things that do like future planning for yeah. ice baths are perfect, you know, but oh, like the sympathetic nervous system yeah. helps regulate across a long time scale. Yes. And I guarantee now when you get in the ice bath, you probably don't even freak out anymore. No. Just get in normal conversations <laughs> yeah, with people. Yeah, yeah. When you first get in, you're not, you know, final flight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've officially knew what stress felt like when I first got an ice bath. <laughs> yeah. So like, what are some of your non-negotiables day by day then? So my non-negotiables are as follows. So every morning I wake up um, roughly five. So whether like, so today, obviously I get on a flight, so it's 4 a.m., but it's within that hour. So it's within that hour. Um, I then train. So I train um, in, in when it's colder, I train first. When it's warmer, I, I ice bath first. So I'll train. Uh, that will look like most of the day's weights training. So like I'm a, I'm a, um, a bodybuilder at heart, even though I don't quite look it. Uh, so, so weights training, and I use that as my social activity. Yeah. So I like stacking my things where I have three to five gym partners, and I use that as like every day I've tra- trained with either a new person or some people do two days with me. And then by the end of the week, I've had 10 hours of social time because I need awesome. that. Yeah. Um, and so, so train, then I ice bath, and then we sauna. Um, and then from there, it's probably 6.30 a.m. Mm. I go get my wife a coffee, um, and we have a coffee and kind of chill out before the day starts. Yeah. That's like my... my now, when I say non-negotiable, I, I am flexible. I'm a flexible human in terms of like, hey, I got to get on a flight this morning at six a.m. I got to change some things, right? <laughs> <laughs> but but I, it's like it's like if I can hit that eighty to ninety percent of the time, I'm doing good. Yeah. But then beyond that, it's like okay, when I get back from ho- back to home, um, I try and put certain things in place. So, for example, I I have this view that like what you consume is really important. So who you surround yourself with and what you consume. For me, I have certain things that I don't consume and it, and it works for me. For me, I don't consume the news. Um, I certainly don't consume it on scale. So I, that's like not how I start my day. It's not how I do my day. Sometimes I'm a bit boring. People like try and have a com- current affair conversation with me. And I'm like, I, I genuinely don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, had a, I had a good one the other day. This will be embarrassing for everybody. Um, who has to hear me talk. Um, I had a good one the other day. Someone goes to me, you should get a Matilda on your podcast. And I go, who's a Matilda? <laughs> the movie? <laughs> <laughs> the, the, uh, the netballers. And I was like, I felt really embarrassed because obviously there's a really hot current of air right then. Yeah. But I was just like, I just, I just don't consume it. And I do it really intentionally. I do it because it's, it is good to consume. It's fun. And it's like, oh, it's like interesting. But the reality is fear sells. And like 97% of what's on the news yeah. is fear-based and like i heard it really good from someone on a podcast once which was like we come from you know back in cave people days we come from a village of like a hundred people you know like a hundred people is like most we can consume of like life's deaths marriages friendship like it's like a hundred people around your village like most you can consume today we have like seven eight billion people's worth of stuff on our phone on news and and only the bad shit comes to you within seconds Within seconds and like, and then like every time you watch it, like the sense I get is like, I'm like, man, the world's falling apart and maybe it is, but like, I'm just like, I, how helpful is that to me and to the people around me for me to have that in my mind? Personally, not that helpful. So mm-hmm. I just block it out. So that's my one thing. It's like, I don't, it's like what I consume, but then also I then intentionally consume some things that like someone might say, a high performer might say, what a waste of your time. But for me, if I do it with intention, it's good. So for example, my wife and I, we watch Netflix each night for an hour. And like, I try and not be on my phone. I don't do emails. I don't do Slack. I don't do work stuff beyond six o'clock. Mm. So that's again, my, one of my non-negotiables. Now yeah. life's changed a little bit, you know, now that I'm on a journey to raise a million for charity through writing the cookbook. Mm. That is work. I'm not getting paid for it, but the reality is that is work. I only have so many hours in the day. So like my wife wife and I have kind of had this discussion is like, look, while I'm doing that pursuit and I still have to work full time with domain, you know, I still work 40 hours. I have some things I have to give and take. So sometimes she might be watching, you know, one of her shows that she loves watching, and I'm like, "This, this is not my jam." Yeah, it's kind of like a, a, an agreement that okay, that in those moments is where I might be doing whatever for that particular task. Um, and then finally, I'm, I'm good at giving long winded answers. Apologies, everybody. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> finally, um, eight hours sleep. Yeah, 
That is a non-negotiable for me. So I try and like it's it's comical to most of my friends, to everybody in my life. No one no one does it like I do. Again, I'm flexible. I'm in bed at seven thirty. I have a one and a half year old son. Um, we try and like if he wakes up early in the morning, I pick him up, bring him to the gym, pass him around. Me and my mate, as we're doing, <laughs> you know, doing weights, he loves it. Um, we love it, and then my wife gets to sleep a little bit longer. So I'm in bed at seven thirty. I'm asleep by like eight oh five. Yeah. So like now with daylight savings, so we're in Sydney, um, it's like bright outside. So I like to send photos to my friends and be like, good night. <laughs> and, you know, some of them are like investment bankers and they're like just getting started. Yeah. And, you know, and some people have to work longer and that, and that's it. I guess I'm, I'm lucky um, that I, I built my life, you know, because we, we built our own business. I built my life around like, hey, my best stuff happens in the morning. When I go through those seasons, like I talked about, I will always front load the work. So maybe in those seasons, like, you know, let's say in those early days in the business, it's really big day. Yeah. I start at five. Some days, like I might start at five and be at my desk at five ten. Mm. But then at six, I'm done because my brain, like my energy's gone, my brain's gone, and I'm kind of spinning wheels. I'm not actually performing. I'm just doing hours. Yeah, and that's it. Like luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Yeah, so it's like you've created your life by design, by the yeah. actions that you've made, and it's cool to hear about your non-negotiables as well because it obviously seems like it's having a positive effect now totally. that you're working a full-time job. Now, how did you say on a different podcast that you'd work about one to two hours before and after work as yep, well yep. for the cookbook too? Yes, that's and right. And obviously you do the traveling for the podcast yes. as well. So your workload's probably increased or somewhat the same, the same level, <laughs> but you're still doing the same load, be able to cope and manage it at a different level. 100%. And the last mm. thing I'll add on to that is um, there is different types of work. Yeah. There's work that takes your energy and there works that gives you energy. Yeah. So today's a huge day, right? I start. I, I woke up at four. I was on a plane to Melbourne. I was doing a bunch of stuff for a broadsheet collaboration for Domain. Then I got on a plane at 2, 3 p.m. I'm here in Brisbane. We'll finish up at seven. I'm on a plane. I'll be home at 11, right? Like So that goes against every non-negotiable I just <laughs> talked about, but that's like the flexibility. But like having these conversations, meeting cool people, like doing stuff that I know has a huge purpose and drive gives me energy. So I'll go home tonight and I'll be pumped. Yeah. You know, give me back to folding brochures. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> not doing the story. <laughs> I'm not doing that till 11 p.m. I'm, I'm, I've got to, you know, I've got to break it up. Yeah, no, I relate with that because I work a full-time job and do the podcast nice. on the side. But for me, like, it doesn't really feel like work because, like, it just fills my cup up so much. Yes. So when you're really on that path that feels aligned to your mission and your values, yeah. it's kind of hard for anything to kind of push you off track from that. Totally. Yeah, and especially quickly before we move on and back yeah. to the subconscious mind and consuming yes. um, content in your environment, like, subconscious mind runs 90 to 95% of your yep. life. So your subconscious mind programs it all for then for you to absorb this information yep. to use to go out into the world and use that information. So it's like, you'll be very, really careful yes. on what you actually consume. 100%, 100%. And the thing, the part mm. that I realized, how I realized I was processing everything subconsciously um, was I'd pick up an, and again, I thought this was a secret weapon. It probably happens. This one probably happens to people. I'd pick up an email. I'd read it. I'd, I'd mark as unread. People tell you not to do that, but hey, I'm human. I did it. Um, and then I wouldn't think about it or I thought I wouldn't think about it. And I'd pick up that email again a few hours later, maybe the next day. I never read emails before bed, ever, ever, ever. That's the one thing I definitely do not do because that like that sticks in your brain. <laughs> um, but then I'd wake up and I would just start typing and like the words, the answers, everything would just come out of my fingertips. And I'm like, what a superpower. And that's exactly it. That's, everything's happening subconsciously. I'm processing that. And obviously that's adding to the load, <laughs> adding yeah. to the load. And you get enough flow state. Yeah, well. yeah. yeah. I've got a quick question, like back in the early on in your story, yep. because I know, especially in the world now, there's a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs and you were at the part where you were a chef, mm -hmm. but you had the ambition or the dream to do something bigger and to make a change. Like, could you talk to me a bit around the mindset shift that you had to create from going from a stable full-time job yep. and stable income to then doing something with a lot of uncertainty involved in it? Yeah, that's a good question. So my... Um I guess I, t I talk a lot about, I guess, the gifts and things that I'm lucky at. It's like the things that I can't control and the things that other people will not have in their, may not have in their life, um, and I didn't get to choose them. One of my things that I'm so grateful for is my parents have the itchiest feet in the whole world. They cannot sit still. So they, moved, they lived in 22 different houses in South Africa just because they would get bored after two years or they would like want to build something or do something, like whatever. <laughs> my brother never went to a high school longer than two years. So what that meant was... We don't, we as brothers and me as an individual, like I don't see change as a scary thing remotely. 
Like, mm. I love it. Like, right now, like, you know, people are like, what's the next thing? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm not thinking about that. I love the uncertainty. Yeah. I'm like, that. like, in the uncertainty, there's opportunities. And I'm like, that's, I'm still, like frothing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and they're like, what's it going to be? Have you thought? Of? I'm like, no, I haven't thought about any of that. Like, yeah. who cares? Like, it doesn't, like, but I'm like, I'll do something, but yeah. I don't know what it is. And I love that. And so, so I, um, when you say that, like, I can't even reflect to like this moment mm. of being like, I'm scared and uncertain. Yeah. Because it was just exciting, like, and and I guess the last gift, if you will, was um, I was on forty two grand a year. Mm. You know, I was on forty two grand a year. I work sixty hours a week. It's m- less than minimum wage, so there was no big leap. You know, the biggest thing I see now these days is you know I'm, I'm thirty one years old. Um, I'm the only one in a friendship group for a long period of time that had done that kind of jump from full time to role. A lot of my friends, you know, you know climbing in terms of salary i actually see it as a much scarier thing now i'm not yeah. saying that to scare people away as at age 30 at age 40 at age 50 to start their own business but the reality is the longer the time gets on the higher your spending becomes mm. the harder it is to start something yeah. i had really low spending you know I, i've always had low spending um and 42 grand wasn't gonna be hard to match yeah 100%. um and so th- th- those are the things that i, I guess I'm, I'm super lucky because i guess it wasn't intentional it wasn't an intentional mindset that i had to go through um but for anybody let, let me take it like what are the key takeaways because someone's like well that's not my life so thanks frank <laughs> it's like key takeaway is like the reality is your job i heard it best from from a girl called bridget loud um, last week i was on a panel with her and she said that was my rock bottom because at any stage i can leave and come back and do that job so I've, I've, I've got my new baseline, which is this job. Mm. This job, let's say, pays you 70 grand, 80 grand, whatever it might be. That's my new baseline. So if I go and do something and fail, I can come back. Yeah, you've always got a job to come back to or find another job. Quickly. That's right. Yeah. So, so like, like reframe that mindset and be like, okay, cool, cool. Let me, let me give it a red hot crack. Mm. It's true because you don't lose the skill set that you have you already. Don't lose it. So you can you always don't go back to a worse comes to worse. You don't lose it. I, I could technically, I don't know how I could do it, <laughs> but I could technically go back to becoming a chef. Yeah. And after a year, I'd be probably back to where I was then. Mm. And, that, and that's been 11 years or 10, 11 years. So I, I have deep confidence. Unless your job was... You know, let's say something that you need a registration for. You know, I can't think of every permutation of every job, but I'm sure that most of the listeners, a good portion, 70, 80%, would be like, oh, yeah, that, that's probably true. Yeah. Especially chef and as well. I worked in kitchens for about six years, and it's a tough nice. gig. <laughs> it's a tough gig. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it sure is. It's cool. Like, I want to transition now into your cookbook and yep. that mission because it seems so cool, like raising a million dollars for charity. Like, going back into the roots of what you're passionate for, mm. which is um, food, but then also doing it in a way where it gives value to the world. Like totally. what's the big why behind that? And mm-hmm. how did that idea come about? Yeah. So, so um, you, you'll start to notice trends here. A lot of the good stuff comes when I'm wor- um, walking with my amazing wife. Um, I was walking with her and I was going through this challenge where I was listening to and consuming. Like I love content. I love consuming content. I love people's generosity. Um, and I think that's part of like wanting to do all this is like, Hey, if there's value, I want to give it, but I love hearing people's stories. And I would consume so many stories about people who've sold their business. You know, it was getting to that pointy end that I needed to consume. Um, and I heard a story over and over again. It was the same story. It was that story I shared, which is like, you know, someone sells for a big number anticipation. You know, you've been in fight or flight for so long and then, what else? Yeah, so what, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? And that was the big thing. That was the big thing that popped up was what is my purpose? Mm. And so this was maybe three, four weeks after the deal had closed. And I was like, I could already feel that like my brain, the way it's wired was like, what's next? You, you, you know, you know? And, I, and I was like, and I was like, I didn't like that feeling. I was like, I, I was like, I, and I couldn't, I could extrapolate out. I had an amazing, um, you know, a guy that had gone through this process and he had this amazing story, which you know, I, I won't bother with today, but it's ultimately like he had someone in his life who said like, I did that. I chased till I was 60 and then I retired and then I was on my deathbed. And like, and like hearing that, and I was just like, I don't want to be that. I could see that happening to me. I could see myself just being the chase next business, next business, next business, next business. And then realize one day like, well, if none of those businesses had like deep impact and as much as I love my business, like in the end of the day, um, you know, I help real estate agents make it really streamlined to transact properties, which helps vendors. That's awesome. But it's not, I'm not curing lives. I'm not, I'm not saving the world. So it, it, it doesn't have like deep impact. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, if I don't have businesses that do that, then I, there's probably, you know, a big portion of them is commercial and I'm a commercial guy, but like, do I want to do that? And so I was walking and then I came, came to this real, I was like, okay, cool. Then I'll just like, I'll just chill. And I was like, ah, oh, it doesn't feel right either. You know, just chilling doesn't feel right either. Because I was like, I realized that like I have 
all these things that were given to me as gifts in life. You know, I mean, we're in Australia. It's an amazing country. There's opportunities galore. That's a gift. Other people don't get that. Okay. I have a skill set that has been created and crafted over the last 10 years through content, through you know, people around me, through everything. And now I have these skills. That's a gift. And I kind of layered these all onto each other. I was like, that's a lot of gifts to then just move on with your life and settle down and be in the hammock. Just and dust your hands. Yeah. yeah, and, and, yeah. and then I realized, okay, I've got to reframe my mind. Like maybe I have an obligation, you know, like, mm-hmm. so now I'm in this percentile, you know, whatever percentage of the world in like, in, in terms of wealth, whatever. Um, I have these skill sets I have, but I also have a giving heart. Like I want to give to people. I love, there's nothing more satisfactory. And so then I went, I reframed my brain and went like, okay, I now have an obligation. Yeah. And I went, cool. What does that look like? Yeah. And within this one walk, I came up with this goal, which was like, what would it look like to raise a million bucks? Mm. To do it for something that wasn't for me, wasn't for my family, wasn't for directly people in my life. What does it look like for people that don't have these gifts? Mm. And I went, okay, cool. That's my starting position, a million bucks. How do I do it? And I was like, well, I don't get to be really creative anymore these days. Like you know, the role as a CEO um, becomes less and less creative as well as your executional ability as your business scales. You know, we had a team of about 350 people. We're now part of an ASX listed company. I don't really have the ability to execute at pace and I just love executing. Like I love moving at pace and said, okay, cool. So those are my two things I want to do in order to get there. Maybe I should tie back to food. And I was like, okay, that'll bring, bring the creativity out me. Cause I was like, I need like a Trojan horse. What's my Trojan horse to get here. Mm-hmm. And then I came up with this idea. Okay. I'm going to write a cookbook for high performing people mm-hmm. who are time poor and health conscious. And through that hundred percent of the revenue is going to go to charity. And that was it. And that was it. And then from that one walk, I just went home. I wrote that down on a paper. Um, the takeaway for everybody here, if you have a business idea, one of the best things I learned from the same guy, every time he has a business idea, he gets a slide deck and he, cre- and he puts the name of the idea. He puts the, what would be the goal? What's the, like, how do you get to the outcome? Some little bit of research and just put five pages. I just put it there and I put it together. And that's, that's something I now do every time. So he once showed me we we're out and he shows me, is Google Slides and he's just got tens and tens and tens of these. And I was like, man, that's so crazy. Yeah, some of these are just like over a beer and a mate says, what about this idea? We just start jamming on the idea. So I'm a bit of a loser. Like I love business. So, <laughs> so that gets me excited. Um, and so, <laughs> and, and it's honestly, it's like, and so I just, every time I just came up with a new idea, I put it in there. And so long story short, that was really, it was around like creating something that had deep purpose beyond myself creating something that could give me energy to fill up my bucket, the things I wasn't getting currently, which is creativity, which was um, e- um, execution. And then finally having something that each and every day had a purpose that I could be like, okay, cool. This is my new, my new thing that isn't just self-serving. Yeah. And plus I've been watching the journey as well and the content, you know, you're just having fun with it too. Like you just oh, having so much fun. enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just, I'm just getting started. I like, I just, I, I, um, I am who I am. And like, you know, I am a, I am a goofy guy. I'm a, I'm a, a bit of a weird guy. I'm a bit of a character. And I just, uh, that's, that's, that's me. And I just put it all out on the table and just have a bit of fun with it. Yeah. That's the main thing. I have a bit of fun with it. And like, do you know what charity you've picked yet? Or is it going to come more towards when you get so, to So no, end? no. So that was part of my journey. So part of my journey. And like, this is my thing is I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to move at pace. So I started the journey in May this year. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have Instagram until May this year. Um, and I, because my, again, I was all about what do I consume and did Instagram serve me at that time? It didn't, it didn't serve me while I was doing my business. Now I'm like, I need to have an audience of people who are invested in this journey. So when I launched the cookbook, it explodes. Yeah, you got like, people there ready, got people there ready to go. And so, so then I started my Instagram in May, um, and I just started moving and some people are like, well, what's, what's, what's the charity? You can't just use the word the charity. And I'm like, well, I got to move cause that's going to take time. So I yeah. can do everything in parallel and bring people along for the journey. Like what do people want? Like, you know, it's equally important for me to be passionate about something than it is to get the audience passionate because then like you know hey maybe they don't love cooking but they want to help this thing maybe they do love cooking so like it's like trying to serve every different element so that we can get to the goal Mm. so answer your question is i have a recent son he's one and a half years old and i was like it's got to be something to do with children i went to do a thing with um some friends some people from business and we went cooked to ronald mcdonald house part of this journey was like Mm. i wanted to find the charity but in my mind, and I don't know if this is going to be bad to say, but like the reality is like a charity is a business, yeah. but the money isn't going to their bank account. It's going into a purpose. Yeah, well, it serves. And so therefore, and this is nothing, this Ronald McDonald House is amazing. It's an amazing, amazing charity. But just side noting that is I was like, I need to get a sense of that charity or business or organization. I need to see, are they efficient? You know, if I go and you know, kind of run this journey, which is like, let's do a million dollars and then 900 grand of it is paid for overheads. Mm. 
like I'm not, I haven't really done much, <laughs> right? Yeah. So I was like, it's, it's, it's on me. It's my job to find one that I think can show that we can show impact and we can show that what we've done. And so I've been kind of spending time at different charities in parallel to working and da 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 da. So I um, I went to the Ronald McDonald House. We cooked for the kids there, and it was like heartbreaking. Like it was heartbreaking. And so that that moment, I realized it's got to be something to do with kids because I could feel my I could feel the passion inside me. Like, all right, like I guess I'm really lucky. My son's very healthy. How do I help people that don't have that same thing? Um, and so then I, I met a I met a guy. Uh, none of this is super official, so I won't say the name of the charity as of yet. Um, but I met an amazing guy um, because we need to do the paperwork, et cetera, et cetera. But I met an amazing guy who had a, um, whose son got leukemia at age four and he found on a Christmas Eve. Yeah. And he tells a story and I was like, and he's now an ambassador. And I was like, this has got to be it. Like, this has got to be, this has got to be it. Because like this guy is like, you know, as equally passionate as I am about business and, and about this journey, like I need someone on the other side who's passionate about the the particular charity and yeah. and like i can't be able to say hey i'm this resonates me from this deep deep place because it hasn't happened to me and i really hope it never happens to me yeah. but he can and so i'm like i need someone that, that that's like that and and through that again it all comes down to like by having that we then you know touch as many i guess hearts as possible mm. and then through that we get to the goal as quickly as possible yeah one important lesson you touched on there was you didn't have to have everything in perfect order to start Mm-mm. it. A lot of people think they have to be amazing to start. We have to start so it can become amazing. Mm. You've got to start first. You can grow the thing. You've got to plant the seed before the tree grows. You know? 100%. You've just got to start and then from there on, you just figure it out where you want to do, connect with more people. Eventually, you start figuring out what the whole path is. That is exactly right. So there's that is like if I boil my life down and I boil the one skill that I have, but I have been curating over time. So this is the one that I can call, it started off as a gift, but I kept nurturing it, is pace. So, you know, your poor listeners having to hear me talk at my pace, I do. I'm trying to even tone it down. (laughs) Everything has to be at pace. Like everything has to be at pace. So like I'm so passionate about this idea that is like, we can both come up with an idea. An idea, I'm sorry to say, is worth nothing. It's about execution, right? And I I don't want to offend anybody there, but it's just like reality is it's all about execution. We can come up with an idea. You can spend the next two years, and I've, I've and I say the word two years because I've now seen, I'm now seen through my journey, people that have had an idea. Two, three years later, I'm, I'm with some, some I've been speaking to lately. It's been three, three and a half years. They haven't launched, but my God, their 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 business case, their business study, their thing is so crystal clear. Every permutation of what every customer hypothetically wants is incredibly crystal clear. But they haven't yet had a customer, so you actually don't know. I could do that same idea, and I'm not saying I can do every idea, right? Like I've got so many skills missing, <laughs> so I probably, I probably couldn't do the idea. But, but I could do an idea, and within six months, and six months is a long time frame for my brain. But like within six months, I could be launching. Again, this is not can't be rocket. It can't be like I'm launching a rocket company. But anyway, bear with me, everybody. Within six months, I could be launching this easy idea, <laughs> and then. I could be going and I can get my customer feedback. My first customer feedback might be like, Frank, this is not good. (laughs) Good. I'm really glad to hear that feedback because now I can find out what do you want and I can iterate. And by the time I get to that three and a half year milestone, I've now heard from 50, 100, 150, 200, whatever number of customers who've given me constant feedback in reality. Like the feedback is good to go to a customer like, hey, what would you like? Compared to like, I'm sending them an invoice each month. Yeah. Times are tough. Are they going to cancel me? And if they're going to cancel me, why are they going to cancel me? Like if they, if they, if you're getting money from them, they're going to tell you if things are bad. And that's what I want to know. And so like everything I, so like, so my podcast I recently launched to the fat is around, I had an idea when I was on holidays with my, again, my wife, we're going for a walk. And I just had this word pop into my brain. It was like, chew the fat. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting words. And I was like, that could be a cool podcast name. I was like, oh, the guests could eat food and the ties into the cookbook. Before I left that holiday, Five days later, I had five guests lined up and I called my guy, my content guy, and I said, hey, hey, I've got this idea for this podcast. And by the end of the week ago, like we've got our first guest in two weeks. Let's figure out how to do a podcast. Because it's like, when I launch the first episode, I'm going to have seven people listen. (laughs) No one's going to care. So like, who cares? Like, and then we get to learn rapidly around, like we just get to self, you know, have some self-criticism and make sure we ask the right questions to make get people that give us like critical feedback. Um, 
And so then I couldn't, you know, because one of the big things was with, with, with podcasts, you may know the stat that 90% of podcasts don't make it past episode 20. Yeah. And of those 90% that don't make it past episode 20, 90% that don't make it past episode 40. Yeah. So in my mind, I was like, all I need to do to get to episode 41, I'm in the top 1%. <laughs> so how do I do that? I got to do it really fast. <laughs> <Your resume>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so like, and that, and like that, so like just boiling it down again for everybody. It's like pace is so important. Mm. Um, don't overthink things. Like it's really good to have a, a great business plan, but like just like this is the way I think about it. If you can think about the things to 80% mm. and you spend six weeks doing that, fantastic. You can spend the next six months, there's diminishing returns to refine that down to 85, 90% accuracy. Mm. That amount of time could be way better spent in execution and learn from your execution. Yeah, and the amount of lessons you're going to learn that journey as well. Because you can't hold yourself back of fear of you're going to like lose or you fear, fear you're going to fail or whatnot. Yeah. Because you're going to learn so much along that journey. You're going to learn more by taking the action than just stewing about the idea. Exactly. Not right. taking the action. Exactly right. Like, what, how do you feel compared to your first episode to today's episode? Oh, I'm real. <laughs> my first episode, I was stuttering, I was nervous. Yeah. Like, I recorded my first ever podcast episode in the middle of Brisbane City Library. Perfect. So, one microphone in yes. the middle of the table, 200 people in the background talking. Oh, I love it. It was horrible. The podcast is still up there for everyone yeah. to listen to. But the growth that comes from me just doing it, trial and error, trial and yes. error. And eventually, I get to where I am now. I re- reflect back in hindsight. I'm like, I'm glad I just bit the bullet and done it. Exactly right. Yeah. You could still be thinking. You could still be having your best plan of how you're <laughs> yeah. going to do it. And then you get on the microphone and you're stuttering. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And like coming back, because like with sales, with podcasting, yep. with networking, yep. with leadership, it all comes down to communication skills. Yes. How did you curate? How did you learn communication? Mm-hmm. Or was it something that you had from a young age or able to communicate? Like where did that skill set come in for you? So I'm going to pause there, Ryan, and just say, Good job on the questions. Everybody paying attention out there. These are some good questions. Well <laughs> done. Um, so, and you could tell it's not your first episode. Yeah. So, so that would be one of my things I'd put in the ba- basket that is a gift, but I'd had to nurture it, right? I've had to nurture it. And I've been really intentional about that one. And that's why I guess I'm saying thanks for the question. Sorry, I keep looking at Drake going like respect. Bro. <laughs> um, so I, I had this thing in me that like there was a pivotal moment in my life when I was younger um, and I, don't, I haven't really shared this, but I wanted, to be, I wanted to be an actor, right? And so I did drama and food tech. And in year nine, those two things clashed. So I had to pick one or the other. And I was like, oh my God, I was like, <laughs> this is changes everything. And so I went with food because that was like my forever passion. But from that age, I, I was really com- I was comfortable, terrible at doing it, but comfortable with the idea of doing speeches. So, like the one thing I did well in my HSC, um, whatever we call it these days, but my, my schooling, my high school was um, when I had to do speeches, mm. and but then everything else kind of sucked. Yeah. <laughs> um, I barely passed, and so from there, probably years and years later, I then we got I got thrust into the role of sales. And so I had no idea how to sell. I was so nervous. I remember my first sales opportunity. I've never shared this one. I, I like this is good questions because I get to stretch my brain and get to share new things. My first sales opportunity was a tiny real estate office. The person did about 15 deals a year in our game. That's really small. Um, I sat in her office. Her dad was there who was maybe 85. It was the most yeah. chillaxed sales <laughs> pitch you could ever do. Like, she's there, the dad's there. He's like, hey, Sean, how are you? Like, you know, like really relaxed. Um, and I'm like shaking. I'm so nervous. I'm like panicking. Um, and from there, it was about re- repetition. But more important than repetition was I had to learn from somewhere. So this is the big thing for everybody who's listening today good step you're trying to consume and you're trying to learn and you're trying to learn from from people that are doing walking different parts of life i did that from an early age i got a sales program from grant cordone if anybody knows him um and i would practice scripts and dialogues every morning yeah i would record my um audio from my phone i would listen to myself and i would intentionally go like what could i do better next time and I would do that constantly for years and years and years. So communication, um, although may sound natural coming from my voice today, is something that I had to practice and practice and practice. So whether it be TED Talks, I would watch TED Talks. I'd watch Steve Jobs' speech for his alumni from that one university thing. I would watch his presentations and I'm like, what is he doing? And I would try and reverse engineer and I would constantly listen. <laughs> and I would constantly try to like self-critique and then critique others, but not in, from a like a, oh, you 
you're not so good, but more like, okay, like what could you have done better in my mind? What did you do really well? And so I'm just continuously trying to like unravel this idea. And still to this day, like I'll, I'll share this is like, still to this day, I will listen to stuff over. I did it this literal morning and I wrote down, what am I doing that I need to change? And some of it's ingrained in you. Some of it's ingrained in you. This is the stuff that I do with my sales team is I have them play their pitches to me. So a lot of it's over Zoom these days. So you can record it really simply. So I get them to play their pitches over Zoom. I would then literally go like, and we'd break down like, what are the things that you could be doing differently? And some of it was like, like to myself, to my point is it's ingrained in you. It's human nature. So one of my things that I picked up recently is I say, I love that. Yeah. Now I do that in conversations. Like I love that. Cause I'm trying to give you, not you, but the individual I'm having a conversation with, I'm trying to give them like positive reinforcement, make them feel heard. But on like when you hear it in repetition in a conversation, you don't know me. It maybe sounds disingenuous. It maybe sounds like I'm a little bit simple because I don't have another way to say it. Whereas there is other ways to 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 make someone feel that way. So I'm still doing it today. And now that I'm 31, it's way harder. <laughs> you know, it's way harder to strip that back. But it's like I think it's like for everybody, it's like. Some of these things, like for me, I think communication is one of the most important things. Like yes, sales, but then like if you want to run a business, you're gonna to have to you're gonna to have to have people you sell to, sure, but you have to have internal people. So like who are your internal stakeholders, who are your employees, who are the people, who are your suppliers? Like you need to be able to crisply and sharply share your vision with people so that they understand what you're saying. You know, one of the common things I hear is people say, like, you know, uh, my manager, my boss, my leader, whatever has things in their head, they can't communicate it. I go on a rabbit hole for three days. I come back and they're like, that's not right. And you're like, well, yeah, it's not right. Because <laughs> you didn't properly share it with me. Um, but then that leader might be like, no, you just didn't understand me. And it's like, no, no, no. And so I always take that view. It's on me to communicate clearly and then you can get so much done. Yeah, that's absolute gold there for the listeners here to dive into that. Now, um, I want to be cautious with Tom. So I've got one final question for yes. you. But feel free to um, answer it how you feel. Because Frank, as a leader in life, mm-hmm. so your father, your yeah. husband, you ran businesses, you got family. Um, like there's so many aspects in life where you have to be a leader. Mm-hmm. What are some of the core values that you look to when it comes to leadership of life? Oh, far out, Ryan. <laughs> Good job. Um, okay. Let me think about that on the spot. So I think... I look for things that I try and hold myself to first and foremost. So there's certain things that I, I've kind of over time realized what's really important to me. Uh, it's something I, you know, it's funny, me and my wife were in a car last week and I said to her, what are your life? Like, you know, what are your values that are important to you? And she said, I'm a bit sick at the moment. I'm probably not going to answer because I'm not feeling that great. What are yours? <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, and so what's really important to me is like, I am really big on transparency. Like I'm really big on transparency. I think why that came to me was because as I got busier and busier and busier, Mm. I realized that like if I tell someone a different story or tell it in a different way or or hide certain elements, I'm going to get caught out so quickly because I'm going to forget my stories, right? not now, eventually. (laughs) Yeah, if not now, eventually. And so like, I just was like, I, I just going to be as transparent. Like there's obviously guardrails. When you're running a business, there's certain things you, you can't talk about. Like when I was in that nine month deal process, people in the office would see me stressed. Yeah. They would have no idea why <laughs> because I can't tell them. I can't tell them, but there's certain things. So, so transparency is really, really big to me. Integrity is so big to me. And I, and it's, it's, a, I say that with probably a little bit of like Ugh, on my face because there is times in life where I, ha- where I haven't been 100% honest um, and those things burn me up because I realize like I'm just doing the wrong thing. And like, so like I, I say that not saying that I've done it every minute right for my whole life. These things I think like you have to work on and like you've got to hold yourself to the high regard. So integrity for me is like, I'm a man of my word. So like, you know, only recently did I have someone who I had to cancel on three times to come to a, a meeting with them and like burns me up. I never met the person. <laughs> I never knew the person, but like the idea that I told them I was going to be there and I didn't three times, like that kills me. So like, I think like, being true to your word is so important. And so like, and that's like even a muscle I have to stretch these days where like the easy thing to say when someone comes to you and goes, hey, like, hey, I want you to do X, Y, and Z. For me these days, like, hey, I want you to invest in my business or this thing, thing. And like the easy thing today is like, oh, sure. Like, let me, like, and then like, and then you almost kick that can down the road. Mm. Like practicing that, like, hey, if I just graciously say no now, it's actually going to serve them and it's going to serve me. Yeah. Um, and so like trying at all times to be a man of my word um, is really important. Yeah. Then, then, then what else with a leader? I think 
For me, a leader needs to be inspirational. And you set the tone and you set the energy of a, of a room. And so, so this was something, again, like I always try and self like check in with my team to be like, what can I do better? What can I do better? What can I do better? And not because I want them to say, no, you're so great, Frank, you're amazing. <laughs> like, I don't care about that. I, I always try and surround myself with like not yes people. Uh, and one of the things that'd be like, is like, you know, I said before, I don't get stressed, but what happens is like my face will show signs of <laughs> like and for everybody listening not watching right now I'm scrunching my face <laughs> and so because my my office I did have a, a a door in my office as controversial as there was but it was all glass <laughs> people could see that and like I was always setting the tone and remember there's a hundred people in this office we've got multiple of them I'm setting the tone of the hundred people office with the look on my face yeah. and so it's like it's like knowing that you set the energy, you set the tone. It's like you have to kind of have, like it's okay to go through stress. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be angry. But it's like you have to kind of, as a leader, you have to kind of quickly bounce those things off and you have to find your people that you can talk these things through so that you can, when you come into that room, you can set your best tone, your best energy. Mm-hmm. So these days, like some, you know, um, you know, I, I, if I'm, feeling that way I may not go to the office yeah. you know like because like I'm like okay I'm not gonna be able to shake this today I don't want to bring that in yeah. so understanding that you have to be the energy is is really really critical uh, and then the last thing I'll touch on there is like I'm a big believer in leading from the front mm-hmm. now I don't think that I can do every role in the business there is no way I can you know we have software engineers we have marketing gurus we have all these things that are way more skilled than me but when it comes to the understanding I need to know enough to be dangerous. So I, so, so what, you know, what I saw in my time is I saw people say to me, you know, I'd ask the CEO of a company, you know, what is the tech stack that you guys are running? And they're like, Oh, I'll have to talk to the engineering team and come back to you. I'm like, you're a tech business. Do you know what I mean? Like you've got to know those things. So like for me, like I always want to know, you know, so we, we started a, a video production arm of our business, uh, which we recently, um, we recently sold, but we, we started that, um, four or five years ago. Yeah. And I was like, I need to pick up a camera. I need to know how to turn it on. And I need to hypothetically know how to do a shoot. Yeah. I'm not going to be the best in the room. I'm not going to be anywhere close. But by knowing it, by knowing the nuance, number one, I can know if someone has done a good job. Yeah. So saying to someone in your business, you've done a good job, mm. is fine. Yeah. To say to someone with around some detail, to say, let, let me use the video production as an example. Wow. That color grade is epic. Like, how did you get the colors to look so good? Like, how did you get the cuts to look so good? Let me take it to tech. Holy shit. Like, how did you get, how did you get those buttons to work on that particular page? Like, did you have to nest multiple layers? And now I'm starting to talk mildly their language. And I truly believe what I'm saying. I'm not just making it up. And then you see the excitement in their face because it's like, yes, you, you understand how hard this is and you appreciate me. They feel seen. They feel seen. And like, and that's super special. Yeah. Number two, on the more cynical side, <laughs> someone saying to you, yeah, that job's going to take 45 hours. If you have no idea about anything, mm. you're like, okay, yeah. but it might take two, right? Be, and so like by understanding some of it, it really helps you make sure that you know who are A-grade players in your business and who are Z-grades. Yeah. And, like, and by knowing that nuance, you know, I'm a big believer that I want to I protect who comes into this business. I want high performers to come in. And when I have high performers... And at lower performers, we've got to get them out, yeah. right? Because we want the culture of everybody like pumped and like wanting to do cool shit together. 100%. So I say, Frank, thank you for your time, brother. No worries. My pleasure. Thank you. Have a good one.